0: Welcome to the Couples Healing Podcast, where you'll get the tools for him to overcome his addiction, for her to find healing from the pain that it causes her, and for you to heal your relationship and come back together. I hope that you enjoy and subscribe. Hello and welcome to another episode. Today I'm looking forward to speaking with you guys about something that I think most people are either working on or struggling with that has such a tremendous impact on all areas of their life. And that has to do with our ability to love ourselves and to improve our self worth and have a solid and a healthy sense of who we are as individuals. And I think this is something that many people struggle with and I think there's a few different reasons for it. So today I want to share with you some things that have helped me tremendously because I've had my own personal journey with this. And then as I work with clients, some of the tools that I find to be most effective, I want to share these with you because I think it not only will help you individually as a person when you develop and increase your self love, but it also helps your relationships with your spouse with your kids, with the people that you work with, your friends, people that you go to church with, literally anybody that you come in contact with can be a beneficiary of you being the best version of you that you can be. And one of the ways to help you get to become the best versions of you is to make sure that you have a healthy and a solid view of yourself, for you to be able to love yourself and to feel your worth. Because I think that's something that so often gets lost and there's lots of negative consequences of not feeling our worth. And so, I want to share with you first off, the beginning of, as I was thinking about how to to structure this episode. I want to share with you first, the very beginning, in the beginning of when we are developing as a human being, as a child. I want to share with you what the ideal situation is. And I know that not everybody has experienced this ideal, but this can help to help you to understand how things developed the way that they did and then help you do things differently as a parent if you are one or with people who are around you to help shape things differently for them but also it gives you feedback for how you can do things differently for you and what areas that you can address or give attention to to correct where things might have gone off course. So the first thing that I want to talk about is this idea of self-esteem. And I think people have this, there's this confusion about self-esteem and they think that self-esteem is you being this independent person who's strong and doesn't need anybody else and you can do everything by yourself and you're unaffected by what anybody does or doesn't do. I think it's so important to recognize that in the very beginning, self-esteem is developed within relationships. So I want to explain this. There's a researcher by the name of Dan Siegel and he's a professor at UCLA, teaches psychiatry, and he does a lot of brain research. And he talks about how the gaze, the the eye contact and the gaze of a mother or the father, if he's the primary caretaker, determines more than you might realize about how you come to see yourself and your place in the world and the nature of people around you. He said that, It's repeated tens of thousands of times in a child's life. These small moments of mutual rapport, this eye contact, he talks about how how critical eye contact is. These small moments of mutual rapport or eye contact, that transmits our capacity for love from one generation to the next. And so I thought this was interesting. It's these small, it's these, word it's the it's like the silent wordless exchanges because a baby and a mom they of course they don't under you know don't understand each other uh, verbally but these repeated experiences over a lifetime again eye contact being present the 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 soothing soft voice this interaction between a caretaker a parent and a child has a tremendous, influence on how the child sees himself and the world. There's another researcher. There's a few little research studies on why with You just to kind of give us a, a, a foundational understanding of this. Uh, another researcher by the name of John Bowlby, and he is the founder of attachment theory. He was a researcher back in the seventies. And he said that the child learns emotional resilience when the caregiver is responsive to the child and interacts with the child with sensitivity and being present with the child, it, it creates a secure attachment which then reinforces the child's own emotional states and it teaches them how to regulate how they, feel, uh, how they feel as an individual. So in other words, secure attachment is the foundation for us to have a positive and healthy view of ourself and the healthier view that we have of ourself, the more resilient we are the more we are able to regulate our emotions and problem solve and flourish in the world when we have a solid view of ourself. But when parents are disengaged and ignore the child and there's abuse or trauma, this alters how the child sees himself or herself. The child can become anxious or depressed, unable to regulate how they feel, lack of creativity and focus. There's so many negative consequences of not having secure attachment. And in the beginning, this is how our our brains literally are shaped and influenced. Our brains develop differently when we have a secure attachment versus when we have a parent who is negligent and uh, uh, avoids and neglects. Our brains just develop differently. Now, this doesn't mean that you're cursed forever if your parent wasn't engaged or present. It means that you have to learn how to see yourself in a different way, which you can do in the present day, right? So kids oftentimes when they grow up and they have parents or interactions with others that are negative, they have a negative view of themselves. It indicates higher levels of depression and anxiety. And so in this episode in particular, I want to share with you some ways to undo and reprocess how you see yourself, because self-worth, self-love, this is a reflection oftentimes of our beginning interactions with people who are close to us. And we've come such a long way with regard to how kids uh, develop and grow most optimally. Back in the 1920s, there was a researcher by the name of John Watson, and he said that this is the proper way to treat your children. Never hug and kiss them. Never let them sit in your lap. If you must, kiss them once on the forehead when you say goodnight and shake hands with them in the morning. That's a direct quote from what he said. And now we know that, that like you want to do the absolute opposite thing of that. You want to be present and engaged and respond to them and care for them and nurture them and support them emotionally because that is what creates this foundation of them being able to develop into a healthier stronger more resilient and balanced individual and so how does this relate with self-esteem so just like i mentioned earlier our early interactions shape how we see ourselves. and so if mom and dad are are critical and nothing that we ever do is good enough it's going to affect how we see ourselves we're going to think of ourselves as not good enough i was working with a client a few weeks ago And I was sharing this idea with him that children are, the word that they use in in the literature is egocentric. In other words, children make everything about them. They're not aware of the world outside of them. They don't see themselves as separate from the world. They see themselves as a part of the world and a part of what's going on. Everything is a reflection of them. So if mom and dad are happy and they're smiling, child thinks, oh, this is great. I'm good. Everything's okay. We're, we're good. If parents are critical and and harsh or there's trauma or abuse negligence, then the child takes that on himself or herself and says, it must be me. And this isn't so much a conscious process, but it's just how they start to see themselves. It just shapes their way of seeing themselves and others around them. They see themselves as not being good enough or flawed or unworthy shame Uh, they have a distorted view of how they, uh, of themselves, which then puts them in the spot of feeling more depressed and anxious and uncertain, insecure, fearful. And a part of the process for so many people's healings is learning to recognize where they are in terms of their self-love, their ability to love themselves and speak to themselves in a positive way, their self-esteem, because we want everybody to have a strong sense of themselves and have a healthy sense of self-esteem. Because like I said in the beginning of the episode, this benefits literally everybody in their lives, themselves included, but everybody that they come into contact with. When you can be your best version of yourself, you can help lift and inspire other people to be the best version of themselves, which then it's, it's this ripple effect where everybody can grow and become more whole, more happy and more fulfilled as a result of us being in a good place and so our first job is to help get ourselves in that spot and so i want to share with you two ideas and two examples of what that might look like and so when self-esteem is damaged the first thing that can be so important and so helpful to grow our self-esteem in the way that we love and care for ourselves is to recognize the negative beliefs or separate ourselves from the external sources of worth. So we often have these negative beliefs about ourselves because of how we've been conditioned. And sometimes they're not negative, sometimes they're just distorted views and beliefs about the world and about where we gain our worth and our self-esteem. And if it's from an external source, let me share with you an example. I remember working with a client who, when he was very, very young, he was. He happened to be at his grandma's house and the fan at his grandma's house was broken. And he was like six years old at the time, very, very young. And he went over to the fan, started messing with it and somehow got it to flip on. And his grandma was so surprised and was like, hey, that's amazing that you did that. Your uncles weren't even able to figure that out. That's amazing that you figured this out. Very nice job. Can't believe that you did this. In the moment that he had that conversation with his grandma. He noticed, as he reflected, this is like 40 years later, he and I are working together. He noticed in that moment that something changed. That he started to pay attention to and seek those messages of praise and acknowledgement. And then he started to confuse productivity and fixing things and doing things for other people. He started to confuse that with worth where he felt like, okay, if grandma praised me for fixing this fan, that means, you know, when I'm doing these positive things, I'm a good boy. I'm doing things that I should be doing. I get a response that's, that feels good. Therefore, I need to do more of this in order to feel like I'm a good boy. In a very subtle way, that one experience shifted how he understood the world. And so, of course, as a six-year-old, he didn't have the capacity to just understand. Hey, Grandma was excited that you fixed her fan. That was really cool that you did this. That's awesome. Somehow you were able to figure this out. And it was just an acknowledgement. It was just encouragement. But as a kid, again, being egocentric and only interpreting things through, like everything is it, it links back to who you are. He took it to mean worth comes from productivity. And so he spent a lifetime doing things and sacrificing family time and focusing on everybody else and making sure that everything else was taken care of and doing things that he had to do. He went above and beyond in all these other areas, but when it came to his own development and his family, the family time and spending time with his kids and his wife, he would sacrifice those things to produce in other ways for other people. And so it became a big problem in their relationship. And so it wasn't until he understood that this is where the beginnings of that came from. And then we went through a process to unwind that. And I'm going to share with you some of the steps with that. But once he was able to unwind that, then he saw clearly that he was getting his worth from this external source. So the first thing that we want to do is recognize the fact that so often our worth comes from these external sources. Uh, it doesn't actually come from it. We think it does. We attribute our worth to an external source, which it doesn't come from ex- an external source. Or we have a negative belief about ourself. Again, like I said, not being good enough or being unworthy, usually as a result of not measuring up to some expectation or some message of where worth comes from. So if you live in a home where high academic performance is prioritized and you don't do well on a test, your self-worth is going to be attached to that test in your mind so that when you fail the test, then you're going to feel like you're a loser and you're stupid and there's something wrong with you. So often again, these negative beliefs come from situations like that. So number one, we want to recognize these early messages about where worth comes from. Number two, we then want to recognize the fact that that isn't where worth comes from. And I know some of what we're going to be talking about is easier said than done. And when I work with people, it's, uh, it's so much more helpful to have a, a process where we can work through specifically what it is for them and the questions and the objections and the blocks, the misunderstandings. We can go step by step. This is a part of what I do in my very first session when I work with people, is identifying where their beliefs are, working through how that came to be, then reprocessing them. So it isn't some intellectual exercise, but it truly is like a a deeper underlying shift that takes place because we're peeling back each of these layers to change and remove and reprocess these beliefs. And so by identifying where they come from and then recognizing the fact that that isn't where they come from. And one of the ways that I, I like to do this with people is let's say they say, well, my worth comes from having well-behaved kids or doing well uh, at my job. The more sales I get, you know, the more worth I feel. And so I'll then ask them the question, well, okay, before you became a mom, did you have worth? Well, yeah. Okay, so where did that come from? Well, that's just because I was a good person and before I was a mom, I was doing this, I was doing well in school. Okay, that's fine. So before you enrolled in school, did you have worth? And so I'll ask these questions to get as far back as we can. And we always end up in the very, very beginning of, okay, pre-being a mom, pre-going to school, pre-earning a living, before any of those things where you think your worth is coming from. When you're a little baby, do you feel like little babies have worth? And of course, invariably, my client will always say, well, yes, of course they have worth. And then I'll ask, well, where did that worth come from? Because they didn't do anything. They haven't produced anything. They're not bringing in any income. They're not, you know, fill in the blank with whatever thing they told me originally. They're not a, a parent themselves. They do absolutely nothing. In fact, it's the opposite. Not only do they do nothing, but they require so much time and attention and energy yet you're telling me that a baby has worth? Well, yeah, of course the baby has worth. Okay, well, where does the baby's worth come from? That's when they stop and reflect on, okay, well, where does worth come from? And usually somebody will say, well, I think there's worth in life inherently. And I think that worth comes from God because I'm a, a child of God. I'm a creation of him. So I have worth in and of itself because he created me and there's inherent worth in life. And always I say, yes, like I believe the same thing. I think that that's true. That resonates for me too. Before we do anything, when we're just a little baby, we all have worth. That worth gets, we get confused by our conditioning. We get confused because of how the world measures worth, which is very different than the reality of where worth comes from. And so by breaking this down, again, this is just one of the ways, but one of the lines of thinking or ways of un- undoing this logic is to just trace it all the way back to where it started. And then it, it inevitably you arrive at this place of like, well, yeah, of course I had worth. And so if you had worth when you're a little baby, do you still have worth now? If nothing that you did or didn't do when you were young gave you worth, do you think you still have it? And people will, again, always arrive at this spot of like, well, yeah, like I must have worth. Well, then if I have worth, why don't I really feel it? Right? And then they go into this thing, which that's the process that I kind of mentioned earlier. If you don't feel your worth, it's likely because you've had a negative belief or it's been linked to some external source. So you you just haven't felt it in a long time because it's been tied to something that isn't even true. So by recognizing how these beliefs developed, recognizing these external sources of where you thought it came from, then challenging those and seeing truly for what it is where worth comes from. now you have a a cleaner slate to work from and it's again it's it's not so much of an intellectual exercise as much as it is, it's a process of starting then to start of starting to believe it because even as I'm sharing this with you, I hope that this resonates and I hope that you can see this is one of the lines of logic that you can apply. You might say like, yeah, that sounds great, but I don't feel it. Well, it's likely because you've trained yourself to not feel it. You've trained yourself to link it to something external. So all we want to do is start by identifying that and then thinking through it differently, because as you start to do that, then you actually will be able to feel your worth. One of the other things that I think is critical to this process There's uh, one other thing here and then I want to end with uh, an approach to treat yourself differently. So the other element in this process of after you've identified these negative beliefs and external sources, challenging those messages, recognizing where worth truly does come from. One of the most helpful skills that I swear I wish I had a magic wand because if I could give one, if I could give somebody one thing in terms of a shift in how they see the world, it would be what I'm about to share with you. It would be that they could separate themselves from their circumstances and from their environment or from their choices. What I mean by that is so often people wrap themselves up with what they're doing or not doing. So for instance, going back to this example, being a mom, if the kids are misbehaving and the mom thinks, well, my worth or me being a good enough mom is directly linked to how my children are behaving they're associating themselves with some external circumstance what we want to do instead is deep per I use the word depersonalize I don't know if there's a better word for that yet but I want to instead of making it personal, making it about me, I want to depersonalize it and say, it doesn't matter how my kids act or if they listen to me or if they don't listen to me or if they're running around in the store or if they're doing whatever, what they're doing doesn't mean I'm a bad mom. Because my worth, my identity of being a good mom or bad mom we want to get away from how we're measuring that from an external source or rather depersonalize it. Same thing with like going back to work. Oh, well, if you know, so-and-so gets 20 sales a month and I only get 10, therefore I'm not good enough. It's these attributions of ourself that we put on a situation. Kid disobeys, kid runs amok. I'm a bad mom. I don't make as many sales. Well, I'm a bad employee. My wife doesn't really wanna to talk to me or we're not intimate that often. Well, maybe because I'm not good enough or I'm worthless or she doesn't love me or her husband is stuck in addiction. He's looking at other people. I'm not enough for him. I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. All of those things, these self attributions are so, what's the best word for this? Like that's such a distortion of the truth. And the goal, again, this is if I had a magic wand and I could give one thing to somebody, it would be to be able to depersonalize and not make these attributes of us because of a situation. So instead of saying, well, I'm a bad mom, I wouldn't even make it about good mom, bad mom, or employee, or spouse. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would not personalize any of this because when we personalize it about who we are, now we're making our identity based on some external thing. And that's not where our identity comes from. Who were you before you were a mom? Who were you before you had a job, right? Our identity isn't our role in life. That's not who we are. And so recognizing that and training yourself, this is where it's like the, it starts with awareness that this is what we're doing. And then number two, it's trying to create new muscle memory by thinking about it differently. And so instead, of, so this is where I like to make it where like everything, it's all about decisions and our approach and our responses to things and how we uh, how we can approach a situation. So going back to let's say work. So instead of saying, well, I'm not good enough because I only get 10 sales a month. So already you've identified yourself with the situation. So instead of doing that, what we want to say is, okay, I got 10 sales this month. What approach is John using to get 20 sales? How is he getting more sales? And let me find out how he's approaching things. How is he thinking through things? How What types of conversations is he having? How can I model? If that's the goal for me, if I have an area of my life that I want to make progress in, who's doing what I'm already doing? Who's having success in that area? Whether it's their marriage or spirituality or parenthood or work or fitness, what is that person doing or what are the principles that I need to know and then apply to also get the same result? Notice there's no attribution of your identity within any of that, let's say you get zero sales. Does it mean you're a bad person? No. Does it mean you're not good enough? No, but maybe it means you have to change your approach. And if you change your approach, then you can keep testing things because it isn't who you are. It's not about you. So the person's not closing any deals. That doesn't mean they're a bad person or not good enough. It just means how do we keep refining this skill of being able to sell? Or same thing with motherhood. Okay, if kids are, again, this is where it's a little different. Kids are their own sovereign, autonomous creatures. They have a mind of their own. You can't, you, can, you you know, you can't force somebody to do something. Well, I guess as a parent, you could, I guess you can apply lots of pressure, but that's not what we want to do. So if you say, well, my kids are not, you know, they're not behaving themselves. Or when I get to the store, they're running amok. So does that mean you're a bad parent? No, it might just mean you need to change your approach. It might need to, it might just mean you have to have conversations ahead of time, set expectations. It it just might mean you need to put things in place to make sure the store goes well. What, what, what approach can you use to have a different outcome? When you're thinking about things in those terms, you're not even making it about you. You're simply just making it about the situation. And we have a tendency for some reason to still make things about us. I did this good thing. Well, that's because I'm good. I messed up here. Well, that's because I suck and I'm a failure. When really we want to get away from that. And so I hope as I've shared some of these examples, it kind of gets your mind thinking in this direction. This is one of the things that literally changed my life is the ability to separate myself from my situation, my circumstance, my decisions, all of that. So now I can look back and I can take feedback. This is when people get super defensive, it's often because they're making it about them. If they get some negative feedback and they take it very and they get defensive, usually they're taking it personally, which is what we want to get away from. So let's say, uh, let's say, okay, let's. I just think about my my situation. So let's say I'm doing these podcasts and I get an email from somebody: Hey, these podcasts suck. They don't even work. You don't. You're not helping anybody sure that might sting to feel like ah like that's disappointing i want to help people that's why i'm doing this but if they were to say hey th- these podcasts are whatever they're they're so unhelpful they're 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 worthless they're meaningless being able to separate myself from that i can then take that in and say like okay well what about the podcast isn't helpful now it's not me it's just what's my approach Can I change my approach? How can I explain things more clearly? Do I need to share more stories? Do I need to do this? Do I need to? So I'm always, I can think about things independent of what it means about me, because it really actually means nothing about me. It's always about the approach. Again, now when we can do that and separate ourselves, that completely changes the game because I'm remembering my worth is independent from any of this stuff, good or bad. The good things that I do, the bad things that I do. My worth is independent from that. And by separating myself, I'm able to then make progress in my life. Let's say I want my kids to not run amok at the store. I can have that as the goal. Like, okay, how do do I facilitate a smooth experience when we go to the store? How do I develop my physical body and exercise and get more energy? How do I strengthen my marriage? How do I you know, fill in the blank with whatever the goal is for you. You're able to tackle that and make progress on it in a way that you never will be able to. If you can separate yourself from the situation, instead of beating yourself up, instead of having that diminish what it feels like to feel your worth, and instead of having that define who you are, again, separating yourself is such a critical component to this. So I hope as I've shared this, it's given you some ideas to recognize if we come full circle to summarize all of this. Your self-esteem, your self-worth is essentially the way in which you see yourself. How do you, because your worth is independent of whether or not you see yourself as worthless The reality is we all have worth as human beings. So we just want to be able to see that and feel that and experience that. And some of the ways that we can do that is identify, just again, to summarize, identify these external sources we've linked our worth to. Challenge those messages and recognize that before anything, we've always had worth. And separating ourselves from our situation will help us to remember our worth isn't dependent on what i do or don't do my worth is independent of all of that like my worth can't be touched so now that i can start from that default i can start to train myself to think about things differently because the knee-jerk reaction might be you make a mistake you immediately beat yourself up but i hope with this framework you can start to then observe what you're doing so that then you can change how you respond to yourself instead of saying well you know, I didn't get the sales this month. I'm not good enough. As soon as you say that or think that you can catch it and say, it's not about not being good enough. It's okay. What do I need to do to improve next month? What strategy do I need to implement? What approach? How can I get some coaching or guidance? It always becomes something external to you. And when you challenge that, then you can step into these new strategies and approaches, feeling good about you, And being excited to make progress in these areas of life, and this excitement comes from knowing it isn't about us. Our failures don't mean it's you as a bad person. It's just your approach, your strategy. If you're you're not achieving or doing the things that you want to be doing in life, you can separate that from who you are and then truly make progress on it without feeling shame or feeling stuck where you are. So i hope that's been helpful i know there's just so much more to go into this and i uh, i know that on a podcast episode it's a bit difficult to then talk through any of the concerns or questions or objections people have so i can uh, you know i like to try to provide the framework at least and again there's so much more that can be said about this but at least in the beginning this is one of the ways or one of the tools that you can start to build your self-worth and self-love by treating yourself differently and applying some of the things that i've shared today and in other episodes i'm i'd like to share more tactics and tools to be able to help you do this because this is something that's just it absolutely is like honestly so life-changing when you can when this sinks in so i hope that helps and i look forward to speaking to you guys next week and we will go from there take care wait before you go i'm offering free access for my podcast listeners to a course i created So make sure you go to coupleshealing.org so you can get some tools to start the healing process individually and in your relationship. Or if you want even more support and you'd like to work with me directly, you can contact me with the info that's on that website as well. I'm excited for you to make progress on your journey.